there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the sandwich generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion, New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. Since we ourselves have never been elderly, it can seem more difficult to help our parents than our kids sometimes. And we've all experienced the process of coming into this world, but not leaving it yet. And our guest today began his career as a high school guidance counselor and continued his education, earning a PhD in psychology, mostly researching the world of the elderly. Dr. Ron Kaiser is the author of Rejuvenaging, the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. He is a licensed psychologist and director of psychology at the Jefferson Headache Center at Thomas Jefferson University. And he's the father and grandfather and he and his wife, Libby, make their home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome to our show, Dr. Kaiser. It's really nice to be with you, Chris. So freedom is a wonderful thing, but it can be a little scary, too. And one of the chief challenges I found, and, and most uh, young guys who are retiring from professional football at the right, ripe old age of 30, they have to learn how to structure their daily schedule after many years of always being told what to do and where to be and yada, yada, yada. And that's an urgent question for young men with their whole lives still ahead of them. But one would argue it's different for seniors. You know, what would motivate a senior to tackle that problem rather than just waiting around for the clock to run out? Well, first of all, the clock runs a lot longer for many people nowadays than it used to. So the reality is, for example, if somebody retires in their 60s, there's a good chance they're going to live another two or three decades. And it should be pretty motivating to kind of want to live those decades in an enjoyable manner, being able to be active, be able to enjoy kids, grandchildren, and so on, as opposed to having a debilitating or draining disease or see you know, the quality of life diminish. So I think that's a, a great motivator for a lot of people or should be. Yeah. And it's probably a good motivator to plan as well. I know that the TV commercials always pester us about saving for our retirement financially, but this idea of living longer and having, um, when we say quality of life, I'm talking about filling your life with the things that make you happy is something that we should proactively plan for. And I think that's a big part of the work you do, isn't it? Yes. The reality is, and, and I guess it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, is that we've talked about saving for retirement as if money is the only thing we can save for. I think it's equally important to save our bodies, to save our minds, to save our social connections in order to, again, maximize quality of life, maximize the time that, that we have on this earth. And, and you've said that old age should be seen as a distinct stage of life and that it shares some of the same principles that apply to the development and growth of young people. Would you uh, care to elaborate a little bit more on this? And one doesn't usually associate the end of life as being a period of growth. Sure. I think that's, you know, kind of 
disregarding the, the recent advances in science and in terms of enhancing longevity. So first of all, I think that, that we have to think in terms of the fact if a child is born for the next 18 years or so, you've got a, a, a lifestyle that's kind of structured in for them that is built around growth. Mm-hmm. Somebody who retires, say, at age 65, or even if they don't retire, there's a real good chance they're going to live at least another 18 years. Now, again, if you're lucky, the worst that'll happen if you don't plan is that it'll be boring. But if you're unlucky, you'll also be unhealthy. You may see that your cognitive abilities decline and so on. And as I said, right now, we've got quite a bit of evidence from science that you can actually delay or reverse things. There is a uh, an ageist, well, somebody who specializes in aging, Dr. Walter Boris, who kind of said that we, we actually nowadays uh, live too short and die too long, that we kind of start dying in terms of our bodies and minds and so on for a long time when the goal should be to live as long as we can and then die short so that we can enjoy those things. So again, there's absolute science to, to recognize that we can continue to learn. The brain can continue to grow and evolve. Uh, we can improve in terms of maintaining strength and so on. We've got great opportunities to build on social connections. So I think it very much parallels, although there are different factors involved, very much parallels the first 18 years or so of life. Oh, interesting. Now, you're not uh, overlooking or discounting the obvious losses we experience, losses of things that we once once enjoyed. Sure. I think that, you know, every day, uh, I, I live in, in the center city of Philadelphia, so I do a lot of walking. And every day I notice that uh, a middle-aged woman and I who start at the, the stop sign and start walking, that after a block or two, she's substantially ahead of me. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I think it's it's foolish to not assume that there aren't going to be some changes. But I think it's also... Uh, foolish to not try and function in the best way that you can, despite those losses. And and there are significant losses. We do lose some of our strength. We do lose, for many people, lose some cognitive uh, aspects of of functioning, although it, it tends to be overrated for a lot of people. There are things that the brain can do to enhance itself. And of course, we do have losses that we might experience in terms of friends, even family members, spouses, you know, those are things that you can't really practice for uh, or study for. And, you know, those those do have to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. And just um, uh, by way of establishing your bona fides, how old are you? In November, I'll be 84. (laughs) Oh, So I wouldn't feel too bad if a middle-aged woman passed me by either. You're just, <laughs> you're just competing in a different class, that's all. Yeah, but if you're competitive, as, as I suspect you know, you notice these things. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a new pair of shoes will help. 
Well, you're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey, and my guest today is Dr. Ron Kaiser, author of Rejuvenaging, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. And today we're discussing old age as a distinct stage of life that is marked by further personal development. What is neuroplasticity all about? I'm glad you asked that, because that's a, a really terrific question that we wouldn't even be discussing back when I was in, in graduate school and some of my colleagues were in medical school. But neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change, to create new neural pathways, even new neurons, new connections, the ability to repair itself. So let's say, for example, if there is some brain injury or if a stroke impacts upon your ability to to function on, on one side or so on. The brain has the ability to repair itself as well as acquiring new knowledge. And there was the thought when we were back in school that we didn't have to worry too much about this, that you know the brain develops uh, in up until the 20s or 30s and so on. And then you could still learn some more, but your, your capacity was pretty much limited. Mm-hmm. We, Oh, that that's not the case. And there are people making major contributions in their 50s, 60s, 70s. I, I like to think in terms of the second half century of life, the goal being to, to live through it, but also to be able to make sure that your brain is functioning in such a way that it's protective against things like Alzheimer's, um, dementia, and so on. There are no guarantees, but there are things that you can do to kind of enhance your chances of of continued brain functioning. Much the same way as there are no guarantees that, uh, you know, when you started playing football in in high school that you were going to make it to the pros. But I assume you would have still played if somebody couldn't give you that guarantee. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. We want to be able to play this game of life as long as possible, even though some of us may not last that long or some of us may find certain physical or mental body parts wearing out before then. It's good to know that we have that potential to carry on um, that you're explaining that, you know, God's given us this brain with these characteristics, and then combine that with our own efforts. Um, you talk about developing a personality structure, and, and it must be that the, the neuroplasticity that stays with us, right? It's kind of constitutive of the nature of our brains that makes it possible. And, and you've identified the type P personality as being particularly useful during the aging process. What is this type P personality all about? Sure. Well, the type P personality, which I'm proud to have created, although it's drawn from the research of of many people, is one of the few personality types that I think people should aspire to. It's it's a healthy type of personality, as opposed to, say, for example, the type A personality, where there's a, a high degree of drivenness, difficulty relaxing, uh, tendency to get upset or angry if there's an interference with time pressure and so on. So with the type A, you want to really moderate it because there are some good qualities about it, but you want to moderate it more than develop it more. You don't want in general to encourage people to become more of a type A. (laughs) Nor do you want to live with them. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> With P, I've uh, between the research and and the work that that I've done, I've identified six characteristics that either begin with P or I forced a P at the beginning. (laughs) Memory uh, technique. Yeah, that that I think uh, help to develop personality uh, in a positive way. So my six Ps are, first of all, personal goal-driven. Uh, and I think this begins should begin at an early age. People shouldn't make up your mind for you as to what your goals are. And if you, I, I think that's a good base to start with. If parents allow their their kids to, within reason, set personal goals and work toward them in a motivated fashion, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of help them identify their strengths, but let them set the goals. Right, right. And a second is proactive. To be able to not be reactive in life, but again, to move forward with your goals and so on. Third is positive. Fourth or fifth, depending how you, you list it, is passionate. Again, if you can pursue your goals and lead your life with passion, much more enjoyable than if you're leading somebody else's life uh, that they may be passionate about, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Other thing is persistence. Persistent is one of the things that differentiates people who tend to be successful from those who aren't, because we are going to reach roadblocks no matter what we're doing, whether we're talking about work, whether it's raising kids, whatever it may be, it requires persistence to be successful. And then I don't want to leave out something that a lot of people leave out, which is playful. You know, if you can enjoy life, then a lot of these other things can fall into place a lot better. So I haven't been able to find a downside to any of those things. And I think if you can achieve them uh, or always be working toward them, then it may uh, create another P, which is to be proud, uh, pride in the way that you're, you're moving towards your goals. Sort of a, a, a genuine self-esteem for having done those things and achieved them. Um, of those, those are wonderful personal goal-driven. These are goals that you yourself set, and they're the things that help you get out of bed. Being proactive, you got to put your mind to it, think about it, and uh, um, not be reactive and just react to things that come at you all the time. Being positive. That doesn't mean uh, putting blinders on, does it? Is it, is it more of um, just always trying to look for the things that are good in a situation before looking for the bad things? Is that what you mean? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, we're not trying to be unrealistic in this situation. But my the first book that I wrote in 2011, the title was What Can Go Right?, <laughs> guide to, to making good things happen. And I point out, it really was an outgrowth of a lot of work that I've done with patients over the years. And when a lot of them would meet challenges, I would throw out that question, well, what can go right? And, you know, it was like a trick question to them, it seemed like. So <laughs> you know, never thought about it, or I can tell you what can go wrong, or uh, did I... Did you mean to say what what could go wrong? And all I'm saying is, you know, when there are challenges that occur, there are 
possibilities that can go wrong. There are possibilities that can go right. But if you evaluate it then and look for the positives, more often than not, you will be able to find a way to pursue your goal if it's actually a personal goal and you're passionate about it and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in athletics, we talk about uh, forming good habits, right? Doing the same thing all the time so you can perform without even thinking about some of these mechanics. Is there such a thing? It sounds like it is in the way that you're describing this is kind of a, an intellectual virtue, kind of a habit of thought that if you practice it long enough, it becomes part of this personality you're trying to structure. And it's possible at whatever age because of our neuroplasticity. Is, is that where, which you're, where you're going with this? Right, because, you know, you can develop bad habits, too. I mean, there there's some people who, again, have developed the habit of really thinking about what can go wrong and uh, then saying, well, you know, and then if something goes right, I'll be surprised and happy about it. But meanwhile, they've spent a lot of time agonizing and so on. And in during that time, they're not focused on what can go right. So I think, yeah, kind of habituating that thinking and you know, making it a part of you. It's mm-hmm. not really any different than what you experienced in sports that, you know, if you develop habits, you do things appropriately. It's kind of like, you know, starting a season without going through a preseason. If you don't, you know, really work on making things go right and work together and, and all the things that lead to, to winning. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you're listening to The Sandwich Generation, a production of Spoke Street Media. And with me is psychologist Dr. Ron Kaiser, and we're discussing ways of mastering the aging process. Well, doctor, being a licensed psychologist, your research is all about how we think about things and how it affects our behavior. And it's been said that good coaches have a little bit of the psychologist in them. I know that would be true for my head coach, Bill Parcells. He treated everybody a little differently, like he had a different person on his couch talking to him. He knew who he, who he needed to reason with. Others he needed to scare. Others he needed to pamper to get to get them to where they needed to be. And one of my daughter's swim coaches introduced um, the team and through them, me, a book that I know you're familiar with. It's Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. What are the key concepts of this work that you have since expanded upon in your own work? Sure. Well, it's it's really one of the most important books in psychology. Carol Dweck was really a, a pioneer in creating the term mindset, which now has been expanded and used by lots of people. But mindset is basically the characteristic ways in which you view the world. What she found out, for example, in her initial research was that there, and this was with children, that there were a lot of kids who were praised for being smart or beautiful, things of this nature, mm-hmm. as, as ingrown characteristics. And then there are others who were praised for trying hard, even mm-hmm. if they didn't always succeed. And one of the things that we saw, for example, I got my doctorate at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and, uh, you know, which is a highly selective. Ivy League school, and part of my work was uh, with students who went there, uh, all of whom or most of whom were certainly near the top of their class, and then suddenly half of them were in the the bottom half of their class. And again, with 
with what she called a fixed mindset, which is you've got these certain characteristics and they're not prone to change, then if they didn't cut it, then that's when they would begin to fall apart. Whereas somebody who had been praised for having a growth mindset or for trying, regardless of what the result was, they kept plugging away and doing better. And again, it's something that I think is kind of critical, particularly when we look at the older age ranges, where I encourage people to learn new activities, because that's really good for the brain as well as the body, learning a new language, learning a new skill, whether it be, uh, you know, drawing, whether it be carpentry, whether it be a, a new athletic skill. You know, if you compare yourself to somebody who's been doing it all their life, yeah, you're not, not going to be as good at the beginning, which doesn't make it worthwhile. So the positive growth-oriented mindset is what we really emphasize. That's actually the first of the seven keys of rejuvenating, is it all starts with the mindset. Yeah, I'd like to talk about those in just a minute. The, uh, I know the, the, the mindset that we're talking about right here is that one of the fears of the fixed mindset, it's almost like a paralysis. You're afraid of looking bad, and so you just sink. And, 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 and then, you know, I coaching young people, some of the kids in a losing situation, they don't want to be a loser. All right. And so they would just quit where other guys try harder because we're trying not to lose here. We're trying to win. And so I know with some of the young people, uh, after uh, one young guy who had fumbled the ball that lost the game in sixth grade, I praised them all for having played their best game. You know, even though it lost and it was kind of a fluky bad thing that happened. And you could just see the young person's face light up because of that acknowledgement. And and I think that's so true. And something that, you know, you got to teach them when they're young. So you don't have to break all that plasticity and all those <laughs> all, all those uh, adhesions in your brain because you've been a fixed person all your life. But it's never too late to learn, and it's never too late to risk looking really bad taking a painting or something like that, I suppose. Well, yeah. you mentioned uh, some of the other seven keys, along with mindset, that you talk about in your book that helps a person master the aging process that they go through. What are the other ones? The one that probably people worry about the most is intellectual functioning. So I think rejuvenating the intellect is is a critical key. The, the notion that you don't assume that you're going to deteriorate cognitively as you go grow older, but do some of the things that, you know, we've just mentioned in this regard. Because, again, there's, there's a difference between losing a game or getting embarrassed and being a loser. When you, you can lose, with, uh, but until you define yourself as a loser or too old or too something, mm -hmm. You can move ahead. So the intellect is is the second one, the rejuvenating the intellect. Healthy eating is another one. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that you can increase blood flow to the brain as well as strengthening your body and preventing a lot of preventable diseases through diet alone is not is the answer. But it's, it's a, an important supplement. And there really are, there's about half a million people a year who die of nutrition-related diseases oh, that boy. are totally preventable. Do you have, a top, do you have a, a, a top three of your superfoods? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, 
Uh, there's the, the Mediterranean diet tends to be one of the most favored at this point, and the major components of it include whole grains, vegetables, which and green leafy vegetables are kind of at the top of it. Some of the things that not everybody always likes, like broccoli and kale and things of this nature. But vegetables have the uh, added benefit of you almost can't eat enough of it to put on weight. So, you know, that's very helpful. And then fruits come in kind of next in line, and particularly some of the colored fruits, like the various berries, blueberries are very high on the list. So I, I think a diet that's rich in, in whole grains, vegetables, especially green leafy ones, and colored fruits. And when you throw in olive, uh, olive oil, that's uh, the basis for a really healthy diet. Oh, thanks for that. The next one, which is the fourth key, is what I call owning your body, which includes exercise most importantly, but it also includes things like getting sufficient sleep, adding in relaxation, uh, particularly meditation time, so on. So that, that staying alert to keeping your body healthy, it's not just an enjoyable thing once you start doing it, but it's, it's really a, a component of a healthy life. Being uh, social, maintaining social connectedness is key number five, and that a lot of times tends to be underrated. But we do know, for example, that in the older age ranges, that loneliness is right up there with things like smoking, obesity, and a sedentary lifestyle in terms of contributing to reduce longevity. So it's really important. Number six is doing good, which is kind of a, a component of social connectedness. We now have a lot of evidence research-wise that when you volunteer or help other people in some way, that the helper's high that you get enables you to kind of gain as much from it as the, the person or people that you're helping. Uh, for some reason, some people get embarrassed about asking if they can help. There's a lot of places and people who need what you can contribute, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Then the last one is uh, one that my friend and colleague Rick Hansen is called taking in the good, to really appreciate good things that happen around you and really embed it, not just, oh, it's, it's a nice day out there, but to really appreciate it, take it in and sit with it for a while. And I think that in order to do that, to take in the good and, pre and feel gratitude, it's important to not be too hard on yourself in that regard. Don't look for gigantic kinds of things. But again, in a nice day, the fact that your kids may be including you in their family plans, because not everybody does. If you drove through traffic and got someplace on time without anybody hitting you, <laughs> you know, I'm setting the bar pretty high. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Those are those are great seven things to keep in mind, and I can see how they help us to stay on top of our lives, especially the aging process. You know, one is having the proper mindset. Second was rejuvenating your intellect. Third, healthy eating. 
Fourth, owning your body. Fifth, being a social being. Sixth, doing good makes you feel good. And seven, appreciate the good that permeates your life. And I think it's important to emphasize that we're not talking about just mere wishful thinking here. Uh, your work as a psychologist points to empirical results, things that we can see. And the great St. Paul encourages us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds too, and to put on the new self. And he was pointing to spiritual results and the reward of heaven, things that we are, are putting off. We don't necessarily see, but it too had em empirical results because in the Catholic tradition, many of our great saints, all no matter in their how advanced they were in age, had youthful spirits. And even some of the most theologically correct paintings of God the Father don't have a gray beard. <laughs> all right. But well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we this is a this has been a great show. We could go on for a lot longer. Maybe we could do it again and we'll drill down a little bit uh, more in the future. And um, for those of our, our listeners who might be feeling a little bit out of shape, Doctor Kaiser has just the website for you, and the address is all one word: thementalhealthgym.com. Again, that's thementalhealthgym.com, all one word. I'll put it in our show notes, too. And, and Doctor, what might our listeners find in, in this gym? Well, as you might expect, it emphasizes positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology. It has a link to, to my book and also the latest links to my podcast, which is also called Rejuvenaging. So again, it's it's really designed to be a very much of a wellness-oriented place to go to get some ideas, recognizing, again, doesn't guarantee that everything's always going to go right, but we want to introduce balance in our lives. And as you said, uh, both with your saints and with a lot of other people who have been major contributors in the spiritual sense in the world, many of them actually wound up living pretty long lives for, for their times too, by practicing some of these things. So Chris, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that. Well, thanks again. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation, where we are better because of each other. And I look forward to being with you the next time. today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.